You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And welcome to episode 98th. Where, or 98th. Yeah. 98th. Wow. Okay. It's because I have Jolly Ranchers <laughs> stuck in my teeth. <laughs> my dentist is going to be so proud. Listen, I had my dentist appointment and now we, I'm chewing on Jolly Ranchers. Great. All right. I, I'll share this before we kick in. And I was just saying before we started this that Tom and I both have a sweet tooth and everyone in our office does. There's all kinds of hard candy and i've broken i think just about every molar of mine is a crown at this <laughs> at this point because i have a propensity to to chew but it never fails as soon as i put one in my mouth the phone rings every single time <laughs> yep so i know i just feel your pain out. i feel your pain but uh but yeah we, we have a really interesting and special episode today i think it's one that a lot of people have been waiting for I agree. Because um, a lot of the feedback we get is we tend to talk about some of these uh, bigger projects, organizations who are doing big things with the idea, oh, people can get involved with this. But a lot of people maybe don't have the time to get involved with a bigger organization or that organization isn't near them, the one they're passionate about. So, But they want to make a difference. And maybe they have a, a smaller yard and they feel, well, what can I really do here? And uh, so that's what we really wanted to dive into how can i get the most bang for my buck and make a difference even if i have a a smaller yard yeah and tom and i you know being involved in native plants we have a lot of native plants in our yard but it it wasn't necessarily by design and i i don't know that i put the thought into it that a lot of our listeners are putting into it oh Um, definitely not and and i haven't felt qualified to to give that podcast but we needed someone who was Yes. And I think yep. we finally found that person. So um, we had one of our listeners write into us and explain to us what they did on their property, and we're like, "This is perfect. This is this is answering all the questions that we've been getting asked all these years." So we were able to put this this special episode together to help everyone with their own property. Yeah. So I want to introduce uh, Joan Brandwine, and we all know that I'm terrible at introductions. So Joan, I'm going to let you say who you are, where you're from, and uh, and then a little bit what got you started down this journey of planting native plants. All right. Well, hi, Fran and Tom, and thanks for the invite to chat today. Um, I've been listening to you both uh, about since the beginning, so I've learned a lot from both of you, and you're, you've got some amazing guests, and I'm, I'm pretty thrilled just uh, to be here today to chat with you. So I'm surprised uh, we hadn't scared you, scared you off yeah. after <laughs> yeah. two years. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't scare you. <laughs> So uh, my name is uh, Joan Brandwine, and I live in uh, Minnesota, you know, Minnesota. (laughs) Uh, I'm in the Como Park neighborhood in St. Paul. So my husband and David and I, we moved here about 10 years ago. Um, And since then, we've been really working pretty steadily at converting our yard from, it was really a classic kind of traditional turf grass and ornamental landscape um, to, you know, it's a native plant habitat now. And after nearly 10 years, um, we've got close to, I'd say about 75% of our open area covered 
um, in native plants. And I think that's what we're here to chat about today. My little urban native plant, healthy planet project. Awesome. And and we want to know more about your journey too on how, what made you choose natives and how you got there. And you you did mention where your your property is located. And I I think it would be fair to, if you could mention the size of the property that you're dealing with also. Yeah, sure. Um, So to me, you know, it's important sort of the history of the place where I live okay. now for Perfect. some context. So, I mean, I'm in Minnesota. We're like three miles from downtown St. Paul. Um, and this area before it was settled was probably is an oak savanna kind of mm-hmm. ecosystem. So, you know, it was probably covered in, in grasses and forbs and some shrubs and oak trees. Um, and the settlement here, it started probably the mid 1800s. Um, and a big part of this area was converted pretty early on to a, an enormous park area, which has stayed a park um, that whole time. So um, we live pretty close to that park. Um, we're in a, an urban neighborhood. Um, you know, we're close to the, to the zoo, to a conservatory, to a lake, to a park. Um, and the the house where we live, um, it was initially developed for, for agriculture. And then probably in that, it was the 40s and 50s that this area was developed. So our specific house is just a, a small house. Um, it was built in 1950. So we're on a, a tree-lined street, sidewalks on both sides. And our lot is 0.16 acres. Wow. So that is about, um, I think our measurements are 48 wide by 150 deep. Okay. So, you know, it's a pretty small lot. And really all the lots around here are, are small. Um, the houses are close together. And, you know, we've got great neighbors. Um, everybody's kind of friendly. And, you know, for us, this is just a great place to call home. Awesome. So, awesome. So, so yeah. you, you buy this. Are you originally from that area also? You know, I grew up in Minnesota. My okay. husband grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I've been in Minnesota most all my life. Yep. So you buy this property and, and you move in and, and you're looking at what you have. And mm-hmm. what made you start working, like you said, 10 years? What what made you mm-hmm. decide to look at it and say, we let's make a change or let's fix this up? Was it in a yeah, state of disarray I'm- or was it just – like you wanted something it was just, different. It was just boring. It was okay. just boring. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was just turf grass. And, you know, I we moved here. This is our what we call our empty nest house. Okay. So uh, we raised two boys in a probably twice this size lot in the suburbs. You know, and we had the grass and the perennial landscape and pretty much traditional. Um, and, you know, our boys, they played soccer and baseball and football. And we really, we needed that that grass area for them. Yeah. Um, but when we moved here, um, you know, we didn't need the ball field mm-hmm. <laughs> anymore. Um, and the lot was just covered in turf grass and there were a few ornamental shrubs, um, a bunch of daylilies, uh, a couple of clematis and a lot of creeping Charlie. So we just decided um, this was a small lot um, we had more time. Our kids were grown. Um, we're still, we had some resources and, and we still had some energy in us. And we just decided we could try and make this into something 
a little different. Now, did, Very cool. did you start with natives? Like, was that your first instinct or did you just start planting and your path changed? Um, you know, the neighborhood where we live, like I, I talked about, we live by this park. Um, and this, the community in this neighborhood is full of just amazing people who really sort of care about the environment. And there have been folks around here who have been um, working on encouraging the city and the park department um, to restore the shoreline of the lake to native plants. Um, right before we moved here, there's a 17 acre sort of wooded area that was just covered in buckthorn. Um, and some neighbors got together with the city and they turned that into a, a classroom, an outdoor classroom that's totally restored. It's got a prairie area and a wooded area. So I, there's just a lot of inspiration right here in our neighborhood for kind of starting to do this kind of thing. That's awesome. So, I was going to ask, you know, yeah. we, we're familiar with our area and what's going on, and we weren't sure what the focus was in your area when you moved in on natives or water quality, like were rain gardens a buzzword? Like, is, are these all things that you were hearing and familiar okay. with before you, you did this? Yeah, you know, I it was, you know, when I was in my kids and mowing my lawn and I, you know, I wasn't paying all that much attention, but when we moved here, there was just, there's more in the news, a Doug Tellamy's book came out and I read that pretty early on. And just to talk about species decline and of course the monarchs decline. Um, so really it was just a lot of things kind of coming together and then really moving to this neighborhood and seeing um, the examples that were really being set here. Because I remember coming to this park when I was a kid and the shore of the little lake was just grass. It was mowed grass right mm -hmm. down to the edge of the lake. And that's all changed now. I mean, it's all planted in natives. Yeah, it seems like just from looking on social media, it seems like Minnesota has just been a little bit further ahead in this path than than a lot of the rest of the country with some of the legislation that's come out. And then having been yeah. in Minnesota, now this was five or six years ago, you could see going into some of these parks, oh, they're actually focusing on native plants where you don't see that even and, where we are in New Jersey very much. And I had felt that way too without really any firsthand knowledge, but I know for us 15 years ago, people were here in New Jersey were just learning about what a rain garden was and we were showing them examples from Minnesota. <laughs> and yeah. and that was something where people didn't know it was a buzzword and people had never seen one we didn't really have customers putting them in or or homeowners asking us about it so it was it was mm -hmm. something that's changed obviously over the last 15 years but we were looking towards places like Oregon and Washington Minnesota for cues on showing people how how it was done yeah. and and I yeah. wanted to ask oh I wanted to ask do you have like any uh, background in native plants before this like what is your career and how because i was going to say you, if you found doug tallamy's yeah. book pretty early yeah. on that's not the typical book that i'd say someone would pick up to read you would have had to have had an interest in it to to pick you know, that book I, up i don't my husband and i we don't have um, backgrounds in in plants or ecology or horticulture my husband's a scientist and i spent most of my career working in nonprofits and government so we don't really have professional experience. Yeah. Um, but I'd say we just always, I actually met David on, at a Y camp in the boundary waters in yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I guess the both of us have always just loved 
nature and the outdoors um, and, you know, camping and canoeing and hiking. So we've always really paid attention and enjoyed being out in nature. But, it, you know, we have we don't really have professional background. If, if we have time and and you know enough about it, I'd like to go back and touch on that Boundary Waters discussion, what's happening there. Just I know from some other things I've listened to, I know it's a con- – I don't want to say contested area. I guess it's kind of a contested area. There's yeah. some private interests that want to go in there, but I would want to save that till the end, just in case we're like at an hour and thirty minutes and don't yeah, have sure. more we, time we, to go. So we, we will, could go an hour and a half just on. Oh, that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I I thought it would be a great place if we could walk through the process. So you, you have this new property. You're thinking about making a change. Um, you don't really have a background in, in native plants, but you're kind of reading about ecology. Where did you where did you start? How did how did this process start for you? How did the process start? Well, we moved here. <laughs> um, we decided we decided we were going to do something different. Um, you know, we love to garden, and really, so we moved here in 2012. And over that winter, we kind of thought about what we were going to do. Um, and you know, that time it was Jugtalami, it was the monarchs, really. And I just, I love butterflies. Who doesn't love butterflies, right? So I thought, well, why don't we start with a little butterfly garden in the backyard, you know, beautiful. So I started researching what what could be butterfly attracting kind of things and, and where could we get them? So that next spring, um, we dug up a spot of turf. We just dug it up, pulled it out. And I knew about this company, and you might know about it. It's called Prairie Restorations. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it started here in Minnesota in the 80s. Um, and they they were early on, like, you know, your family business, mm-hmm. early on kind of in the natives. Um, and so we knew about Prairie Restorations, and they had a retail store um, where they sold native plants. And it's about an hour's drive from here. So Dave and I, you know, we got in the car, and we just drove up there with some sort of general ideas. Um, we talked to the staff there who knowledgeable and just, you know, really knows a lot of stuff. And we, we just left there with some six packs of little plugs. Um, I think what we got that first time was maybe some common milkweed, swamp milkweed, Joe pie weed, some asters, and I think some blue indigo maybe okay. from that trip. Um, we came home with those plants we read the tags, you know, <laughs> and we, we looked at our area in the back and the sun and the size and we just planted them, you know, we just put them in the ground and got started. That was that first spring. And that's really how we got started. How was your, and su- boy, it's just, how, how was your pardon? success rate on those first handful of plants that you planted? You know what? Um, I will say that when I plant a garden, I take care of it when I plan it. <laughs> so we had we had good good success. I will also say if you buy an indigo and you plant it in the ground, you better be comfortable leaving it there because you're never going to move it. <laughs> yeah, the roots get yeah. so incredibly deep. Um, but we had a, you know great success rate on that. They all made it through, and the next year, you know, we had some blooms and we had some plants. Um, we had a start. Did you see a significant difference in the amount of butterflies? on your property that like that second year? Um, So I will tell you, um, I grew up 
didn't pay a lot of attention to bugs or insects or any of that stuff. I always loved plants and flowers, but I wasn't, I was never a bug person. That next summer in 2014, I noticed monarch caterpillars on that common milkweed. And it happened that fast, right? It's like, how did they find this here? But there they were. And I watched those caterpillars and I got obsessed with those caterpillars. And I watched them crawl to the asters next door and turn into chrysalises. And one of them, so it was July, we had this trip planned. We were going to head up to our friend's cabin in northern Minnesota. And I was looking at that chrysalis and I told David, I'm like, that chrysalis is going to open today. And I told him, I am not going. I am (laughs) not going. We're not leaving until I see that that butterfly come out. And you know what? It did. It did that morning. Um, I ran in and out of the house. I'm packing and I'm running out and checking on that chrysalis. And that that monarch emerged that morning. And you know what? I have never looked back since then. That, that, is, that was really it. I, I mean, that kind of justifies what you're doing. Like immediately, it's, you, you, you thought about butterflies, you researched, you got plants that would attract butterflies, yeah. and then immediately, boom, this jet, I did the right yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, look at it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and what I love about it is like you, you pick something you want, like you want a butterfly. And I will point out, you said, who doesn't like butterflies? I know one person that yeah. doesn't like butterflies. <laughs> I do too. And I don't know if I should name names. Right uh, do you now. want me to name names? One. <laughs> I, I'm, I will say that the person might live with Tom. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, kidding. My, my wife doesn't like butterflies, and it, it's she's not scared of them or anything. She just says, yeah. "You know what? You cover not up those you cover up those beautiful wings, and they just look like creepy, crawly little things." But uh, and she, I think she has a valid point there. But uh, but yeah, it's always funny when That's someone good fun. Kelly Gill, our our good friend from the Xerxes Society, always says, "Oh yeah, who who doesn't like butterflies?" And I was like, "Oh, my my wife doesn't." <laughs> well, there, so, there's always the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but but what I was going to say is, you pick out that one thing, but you're also benefiting so many other things. It's not just the butterflies that benefit from this. It's I'm sure you're getting more bees and and different pollinating flies and birds and all kinds of stuff, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? I I took a picture. I don't you know red milkweed beetles. They have these super yeah. long oh, yeah. little antennas, yeah. right? I got a picture of one of those beetles on a milkweed. And you know what? I got it got printed in the National Wildlife Federation wow. magazine wow. that picture. So I, they're just so cute, you know? And that I didn't plant anything counting on seeing milkweed beetles, mm-hmm. but there they are. Well, I'm I'm been admiring all the beautiful photos behind you for for anyone that's watching on Zoom, but I'll I'll go into that a little bit later. I didn't want to forget. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I comment. That's my happy wall. Back there. <laughs> so so you plant these plants, you get your first monarch, you watch it emerge from the chrysalis. Mm-hmm. What was your next step? How many plants did you plant the next year? Oh boy, it really, it picked up steam from there. (laughs) So, um, you know, so then I started to really pay more attention, um, started learning about the idea of having blooms that go from spring till fall. Um, initially we have a pretty sunny backyard, so a lot of sunny prairie plants just work great back there. Um, we added, we have a small ornamental tree in the back of that we just, we left. Um, so I started finding out about woodland species. 
So we planted a woodland garden underneath of the tree. So we've got, you know, Columbine and Jacob's Ladder and wild geranium, um, boy, uh, wild ginger. We've got Virginia water leaf under there. And that garden just, just took off. I mean, it's just in the springtime, that is just red and yellow and purple. And it's just, and there's bees in there in the spring, mm. the early wow. bees show up there. So yeah, it just, we just keep going at, we keep going. At any point, did you start to look and say, we're starting to run out of room. I need to make sure whatever we plant, we're getting the most out of, or, or the ecosystem or wildlife can can get the most out of that. Like, do you, did, did you get to a point where you started to be more selective and you started to do a little more research to make sure that, that you yeah, were using the space I, wisely? Yeah. And I, I started learning about adding uh, grasses. So I have some um, prairie drop seed and little blue stem and big blue stem back there. Um, so I wanted to add more just diversity of mm-hmm. species um, and just, started thinking a little bit more really about serving um, not just butterflies, but bees and other sort of critters and birds. I mean, I've had 30 different species of birds I've documented back. This is tiny little yard. So yeah, I've been slowly but surely I've been learning more and I've been paying more attention. Really. Had you had, had you have, uh, did you have to remove anything? Was there anything that you planted that you're like, mm, this is a little more aggressive than we hoped for, or it wasn't quite yeah. what you <laughs> hoped it might have been? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, well, we tried something called a Maximilian sunflower. Mm-hmm. I think that we got that really, really early on. And man, that thing gets so big and it spreads out and it flops over. And you know that for a small yard, it just really wasn't a good a choice because yeah. we have limited space. And if you take up this enormous spot with one plant, so that came out. And um, then I will also say that common milkweed, you know, mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> um, it can be a little aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we now have, we have an area between our house and our driveway um, that's for planting, but it's, it's, it's surrounded by concrete. So this stuff isn't, I have just let milkweed just go there. Mm -hmm. So that kind of keeps it under control is just, it's not connected um, to the other parts of the yard. Mm -hmm. So it can spread and, but it's limited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's one thing we did. But I think that's really important for listeners to know to that. It's okay to make changes. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a learning process too. So you're going to learn that some things work better. We always talk about certain plants that that we plant that don't want to be where we plant them. They find their own place. So it's yeah. it's it's okay to be flexible. It's okay to mm-hmm. to make those changes and and learn and let it evolve because that's what happens yeah. in nature. You there could be ten things growing, but only seven of them may may end up working out mm-hmm. there you yeah. know so it has to be oh, a, sure. a, a happy experience for you or <laughs> and, that, and some of that means having things that make you happy in the right spots so yeah no that's yeah that's absolutely really and you know if i with my common milkweed too i would love to let everything here just go to the seed and be natural um but i'm also respectful of of my neighbors mm-hmm. and how close i am yeah. you know so that when that milkweed goes to seed i will cut back some of the seed and not just let it fly all over the neighborhood because you know not everybody's into it like I am so I try to respect my neighbors too do you you ever collect the seed to give out to people or to donate I was just curious 
You know, I have, I have tried collecting some seed um, and I've had some success uh, with coneflower, helianthus, helianthoides, saving that and starting that from seed. Um, and I have given away some plants when things get a little yeah. too many yep. here. I've yep. given away some plants to neighbors and friends. Yeah. How hard has it been to, to source plants um, for your yard? Is it something that's you know, readily available in your area or is it hard to find? You know, that's, that's a, a good question. And when we started here, um, like I told you, we were making these trips an hour away to mm-hmm. Prairie Restorations um, to, to get our plants. And that was that was really the best option that we could find. Um, there were a couple really tiny little native plant nurseries around here, but Prairie Restorations really had a better selection. So yeah. for the first few years, um, we were doing a lot of, of that, you know, mm-hmm. driving up there and, and taking what they had. And in the, in the last decade, I was there's two pretty big sort of nurseries, local nurseries here that started carrying some native plants mm-hmm. um, and they're neonic free and, you know, they're native grown. Um, so I bought some from there, but you know, when you walk into those places still, you look and you go, wow, boy, the number of non-native compared to <laughs> oh, native. Yeah. I, I would love to see that flip at some point, yeah. but you know, it's just still a tiny percent of what they sell. And I also learned about, you probably also know about Prairie Moon and Mm -hmm, Prairie Nursery. And I've started in the last couple of years, um, you know, looking at their catalog and and getting some things um, just shipped here. So ordering them online. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had mentioned into starting some material from seed or if you were looking at containers or if you bought bare root. Mostly I've bought just the plugs, um, small plugs. And one year I did order a bunch of seed from Prairie Moon and I went through the whole, um, you know, read what they need to germinate Mm -hmm. and the stratification. And I had some in the refrigerator and wet sand and trying to keep track. And, you know, I had some success with starting from seed, but that was just a little bit more of an undertaking than it's so much easier just to buy a little plug. (laughs) What were some of the resources that when you were starting out or even today that you use to help you – help guide you to what to plant or how to take care of what, what you're doing or even what may be an appropriate plant for where you live? Yeah, so we have – there's one um, resource we have in Minnesota that was started as a volunteer effort from a, a Minnesota master naturalist person, and it's called minnesotawildflowers.info. Mm-hmm. I mean, she has made the most amazing database of all the native plants in Minnesota. It's not just wildflowers, but it's grasses and shrubs and ferns and trees. You can go there and, you know, it shows the, the, where, it, where it's native to and pictures of it. And it's just a, an amazing, amazing resource. So, but that one, you have to kind of know what you're looking for. Okay. And then you can look, look it up there and find out a little more. Um, so that is just one thing we have here in Minnesota that's just just awesome. Um, in the last couple of years, Minnesota passed some legislation to, um, it's, I think it has an unfortunate name, but it's called Lawns to Legumes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal of it is to encourage residents to convert some of their property to pollinator-friendly habitat. So they give out um, grants, which, you know, I've never gotten a grant, but I, I think the grants are just a small part of it. They've just done so much outreach and education 
um, with this program. And there's just incredible resources they've got online now. So it's the Minnesota Board of Soil and Water Resources who really heads that up. And you can go on that site and just, they have a free guide of, you know, all the steps to go through to make a pollinator garden. They have um, a design for a small sunny native garden, a shady garden. It's just, there's just so much available. And in Minnesota, I will say too, it's just really awesome. So I'm checking out that minnesotawildflowers.info and that is a really cool website. It reminds me a lot of the, our Jersey friendly yard site that we have here in New Jersey. And uh, maybe even a little bit more info and data on here. Um, yeah, it's it is really really useful. By it has the I see the bloom periods on there. You can sort by month, trees, shrubs, grasses, vines. Uh, what I call others. Uh, it's, it's an impressive, <laughs> yeah. an impressive site. It yeah. really is. Where the, where where you live? Were there any ordinances that? would be obstacles for someone wanting to do that. Like say if someone said, I'm going to turn my yard into a prairie. Is there anything where a neighbor could complain and say, Hey, they're not cutting their grass. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. I think um, there's a like um, boulevards in particular, I think three foot height limit in the front, that kind of thing. So although there's a, there's yards around here where people have um, pretty much prairied up uh, their whole front yard and, and they seem to be doing fine. I think the neighborhood where we live in too is not really as likely that people are going to complain about that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, there definitely are ordinances and, you know, when we moved to working at our front yard, I was just pretty cognizant of trying to um, go native, um, but so keep it a little more formal, a little more under control. Yeah. Did you did you happen to read the Thomas Rainer uh, Claudia West book before you started planning planning in a post wild world? Yes. Yes, I have that book. It was not before I started, okay. but it is it is one I have gathered along the way, and I love that book. Okay. I was, it sounded book. like you're adopting a lot of the practices that they talk about in that book, and that's why I was I was curious. Um, I, I guess you mentioned neonics early on, and is that something you were cognizant of from the start, or have you changed your cultural practices of how you maintain and care for your property? Because obviously you said when you plant it, you take very good care of it. Do you, do you not rake? Do you leave the stems? Like what are some of the cultural practices that you do or maybe that you've changed on how you handle your property? Yeah. I I mean, before I started all this, I I didn't know what a neonic was, (laughs) you know, and in my, in my, my other part, you know, to be honest, I use preen to keep the mm-hmm. weeds down. Um, and, you know, my husband would do the, the weed and feed thing on the grass when things got out of control. You know, as our kids got a little older and played more in the grass, we we kind of started then to think more about, you know, maybe we shouldn't be putting chemicals down here when the kids are playing ball in the yard and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I think we kind of started being a little more aware then Um, when we moved here, um, you know, to be honest, the first patch of grass that we killed, you know, it was, it was roundup. My husband, David said, you know what, you know, you gotta, you gotta just kill it. You gotta kill it. So we sprayed it with roundup, but what we learned after using roundup too, is you're just left with a, a patch of dried up dead grass. And so we still removed, you know, that turf. So we don't 
do that anymore. Um, I don't use any chemicals now okay. in my yard. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that really for the most part in our neighborhood, very few people um, are using chemicals on their yards. Awesome. So, but that cultural practices, I mean, so when I start, when I plant a new garden, I want those plants to survive. So okay. I, I, you know, during the establishment time, I pay a lot of attention to yeah. them, you know, make yeah. sure they have enough water. And I'll tell you, I mean, last year we added this enormous island bed right in the middle of our front yard. And we dug in April and May and took the grass out and we dug um, sort of a dry creek bed next to it, put stone in there. So we had kind of a mound and we had worked so hard on this. And after you do all that work, when you get to the point where you get to put the plants in, it's like easy. That's the easy part. So we get the plants in, we get it all planted. We're thrilled. We're exhausted. And we got hit with a 90 to hundred degree heat oh. wave at the end of May in Minnesota. And I have this whole garden full of these tiny little plants. So, you know, I was out there like twice a day with the hose and just doing what I could to get, and the whole summer was hot and dry. Um, so getting that one established took you know, it took a lot of effort, um, but I, you know, it made it through. And by fall, everything really looked amazing. So that for me, that's getting things established. If you can get them established and healthy and growing, that's really important part. And then, you know, for weeding, I just have kind of an idea that if you, if you pull a weed here and a weed there, they just don't, catch up with you. So, you know, I I just go out in the morning with my cup of coffee and I take my walk around. I see who's hanging around the bees and the bugs and the sleeping male bees. And, and if I see a weeder three or 10, I I mean, I just pull them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I really just don't let things get out of hand. And you know what, when you have a 0.16 acre yard, um, you could do that. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not that big. Speaking about the weeding and I just weed from the nursery side of things. I've seen it a lot where they um, there's actually, they put numbers on it. I can't remember exactly what they were off the top of my head, but how much more expensive it is from a, a labor perspective to weed. You, you think, okay, well I'm sending people out to weed so frequently it must be really expensive, but it takes mm-hmm. so much less time to weed each pot and get through the entire block when the weeds are really little and if you let them grow big and try and do it all at once you have way bigger problems and it takes so much more time and in overall it's just way more expensive and it's the same thing in your garden if you can take your approach where you're just kind of going through and do a little bit at a time on Mm -hmm. a a weekly basis it goes a lot longer than waiting for it to get really bad and say oh i gotta do something and i learned that out firsthand because i that's my strategy so i'll get to it eventually and then it's over eventually it's crazy you know but if if you scale down like one of the things we always preach for all these big projects that we're always Mm -hmm. talking about is if you want them to be successful there has to be some kind of stewardship and and without Mm -hmm. that you're limiting the success of the project so you're providing stewardship for the plants that you're providing to make sure you have success, which is ideal. You know, for anyone that wants to just plant plants and walk away and said, I did my job, you, mm-hmm, you're not mm-hmm. going to have the same success rate. You may not be as happy <laughs> to, have, yeah. to have that conversation. Yeah. But, and, yeah. and again, it's, it depends on the application because yeah. if you have a big meadow, like I know some of our listeners have 
larger properties and they plant a big meadow, yeah, you're never going to go yes. through that and, and get rid no. of all the weeds. But you're also not going to notice all the weeds because you're not going to be right. walking through every little patch and it doesn't always need to look as beautiful. If you want to, you have a little, a smaller yard and you want to mm-hmm. have friends over and, and have tea or coffee on the, on the back patio, well, you yeah, want it to be yeah. presentable. And, um, and that's, so you got to put a little more investment in, but it's, since it's smaller, it's easier to put that investment into. So it, my, it sure is. Yep. <laughs> so your property is 10 years in the making. So mm-hmm. at what, it sounds like your, your neighborhood is, is, is fairly progressive towards this, but at what point did your neighbor start to notice the change on your property and what was their reaction? Oh, well, that's um, a good question. So we have a six-foot privacy fence around oh, okay. our whole backyard. Okay. So uh, when we were learning here um, about doing this and practicing in our backyard, um, only folks who we invited in got to see it. Okay. <laughs> so we got to learn there in, in kind of private. And you know what? The people we had over, they loved it. I mean, seeing the butterflies and seeing the bees, although my daughter-in-law is kind of afraid of bees. So that was one issue you with her. Um, but we're getting past that. Um, but you know, they really just loved it and we're just really impressed with how good it can look and how really lush, even just a tiny little backyard can get. And my neighbor on one side of me is, she's an older lady and her grass is, you know, it's just, it's creeping Charlie and turf and she just, you know, that's what it is. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's fine. But I, I kind of knew that that might be creeping under the fence, right? To me. So with her, I offered, I said, Hey, do you want a border on your side of the fence? Right. And she said, yeah. So I, with the extra cone flowers I had and when I'm thinning stuff, I planted a border down her side of the fence and she loves it. And the neighbor's Love it. And you know what? It keeps the, the grass and the creeping Charlie from um, heading my way. So that was a, a real um, win-win there for the, the backyard. And then in um, 2020, you know, in the spring of 2020, we all had a little more time at, at home here. Um, David and I just said, you know what? Let's just do it. And that's when we moved to our front yard. And really hit our front yard hard. And 2020 and 2021, um, we transformed uh, that front yard. And it's it turned out better than even I expected. I kind of look at it and go, wow, look at that. <laughs> we did that. Um, but that is the project that I have got. It's really, it's public. It's a front yard. We're in a small neighborhood. We've sidewalks. People were walking by and and seeing what we were doing. And, you know, there's one guy in particular. And if we had the sod dug up and there was dirt and we were getting ready to plant, we put the blue tarps out over there to cover it so we didn't have a big mud mess. I mean, we, you know, we did our best out there. And I had one guy who walked by with his dog regularly. And he asked me at what point what we were doing. And I told him and he said, you know, I, I don't see it. I just, I don't see it. <laughs> and, you know, he came by. I Weekends, we're out there and we're working and he would come by. He's like, nope, don't see it. And last fall, we got, things were blooming. Things grew in well there. And it really, you know, our hard work was really paying off. And that guy walked by and I looked at him and I said, you know, do you see it now? And he said, you know, 
I do. I, I see it. I see it. And that's, you know, the, the beauty of it all is it's different to do that in your front yard. It's new. It's not traditional. People are skeptical and I don't blame them. I, I don't blame them a bit, right? Um, we're not doing what everybody's doing and it, it could be really bad, but you know, it's turned out really well. But I so love, I'd I say love. our front yard has been just a, an ex, a success way, way more than we expected. But I love that you had the conversation <laughs> with your neighbors. Like you, you had the talk about what you were doing and you asked what you could do to make it more comfortable. And, and it benefited you, but it also benefited them. And maybe you converted someone. And, and how many do – do you find yourself if you're outside and people are by that you're getting a lot more questions than – than normal? Like people, are people just walking by or are people stopping and talking to you? You know, people will stop and, and chat with us. Not, not everyone. I mean, the neighbors we know, they chat all the time. It's like, Hey, let me get my work done here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but a lot of people will ask and um, we've got, you probably, you know, the plant meadow blazing star and you could probably say the ligularis ligusitilis, something like that. But so we planted some of those mm-hmm. out front um, and they're like monarch catnip. I mean, just wow. amazing monarch catnip. And in late summer this past year, they were covered in monarchs and they're in our front yard. You know, there's a dozen or two dozen monarchs just swarming on these plants. People can't, help but just be mesmerized by that it's just it's just not something you see in a little urban um, neighborhood and that you know because our yard is small those it's close to the sidewalk people are really they're close they're like right in it yeah um and and that's just really been miraculous that people just can't seem to just walk by and ignore that so one of the things i found most impressive when you reached out to us um was the website that you created and what what went into that why why did you choose to do that and 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 first of all it's it's stunning it's amazing <laughs> but um thank you what, no problem but what what went into that and if you can explain what you're doing with the website for our listeners to to understand and 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 give the website so they can go and, and visit it sure so my website is comohabitat.info and I've had it up for, uh, I think it's a week old now. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. um, but it's been, it's been like years in the making. So I've been a photographer for a really, really long time. Um, and in the last like 10 years, I've also gotten a little more serious about that, um, especially macro photography. Um, so, you know, some of my neighbors know me, the crazy lady. I'm out with the big lens at, at sunrise, walking around the park, taking pictures, chasing birds. Um, and I just, I love it. It's just, I love it. So I have a lot of friends who, um, I don't use social media. So that's just a personal choice of mine is that I just don't do that. So I have a lot of friends who want to see my pictures and they just like, if you're not going to go on social media, then you got to make a website. You got to do something because I want to see your pictures. Um, And over this past winter, which we had a winter here in Minnesota, (laughs) (laughs) um, I just started thinking about that a little more and I just started to investigate and I have a friend who is an artist and she knows a lot of folks who make um, Squarespace websites for their art. Um, So I just thought, okay, fine. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to look into it. 
And boy, once I got that free trial of Squarespace and started seeing how easy it really is to put a website together, I went down deep there for about a month. <laughs> that website, <laughs> and I, I just decided, okay, I have all these pictures, and they're really focused on plants and bugs and the park where I live and the neighborhood where I live. Um, so I decided to kind of bring those two things together, really, the photography and this this ten year you know project that we've been working on. So, you know, we call it the Como Habitat for the Como neighborhood. And I just started thinking about what do I want to put there. So I've got um, I've got one page that's got a lot of links to the resources that I use and that have really inspired me. Um, my work and it includes you know your podcast. Oh, awesome! That's Thank there. you. I have, a, I have a link to your episode with Benjamin Vogt on there because that's really appropriate for what I'm working at Completely. here. Um, and so there's a page with resources. Um, I've got a page uh, about that just kind of tells the story of what we've done here on our 0.16 acre lot with some photos. There's some photos a little before and a little after there. Um, I've got a page with uh, photos from my yard and then also photos just from my neighborhood here. Um, and yeah, it's all kind of just put together in that one spot. So you have you know, a- my friends who've been begging me, they love it <laughs> and I love it. I don't know where it's going. Honestly, I don't know where it's going. I did not think it would take me here to your podcast. I'll tell you that. <laughs> There's a, do you have like a daily blog or like what's going on also? Was that one of the, the segments? Yeah. So I have a page I called today because I thought if I called it a blog, then that I'd be committing to updating it. <laughs> so I, I just called it today and I only have one post in there so far, but that was just the, the first day that I kind of launched the website. But that's a great, so I hope to update that. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. That's a great tool for someone that wants to see how it progresses or what you can do at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, and I think you mentioned this, and I apologize. Like for someone walking by, do you have signage? Like if you're not outside and someone stops, do you have signage up front, or even saying, "Here's a link to the website if you want to know more." You know, that is something I just ordered and I just put out front. It's okay. just a little sign that says ComoHabitat.info, and you know, for me, it's like if someone's interested, maybe they'll look, and, and maybe they won't. Um, but that to me is just another way of saying, "Hey, you know." There's something going on here, and if mm-hmm. you want to know about it, you can talk to me. I'll talk to anybody, right? Or just take a look. And I, I just, I hope it'll inspire. You know, even if it's just one person plants a milkweed, then that's good, good with me. I, I love that it's inviting, though, and that's one of the things that we've talked about with making it inclusive. Even though it is your property, you want people to be curious and and maybe take something home with them from that. And we had talked about. Having signage or mm-hmm. or leaving a map, uh, you know, if someone wanted, mm-hmm. if you weren't there and you didn't mind someone, I I love that the detail of your website and how much you went into this, and it's just like a little note, like, hey, if you're if you're interested, without being pressured or or mm-hmm. or bugged, if 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 you want more info, go here and you can learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really like I can't say enough what an invitation that is to learn more because. I'm sure people mm-hmm. walk by and say, "Oh, this is this is pretty cool," especially in like peak summer bloom season when stuff is really yeah. showy. 
Um, and I've said it even with, with our yard at home is someone's walking up the front drive and they see the purple cone flower, they see the Leatris blooming and they're like, Oh, that's a really cool flower. I want to know it. But if we're not home to tell them what it is, they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I guess they could use their phone and use iNaturalist or, or snap or but something not like that. The same, but but it's, it's not the same. But you have that guide and say, Oh, if you go here, well, now they're presented with so much more information to really learn, um, even more than just a plant name. So it's, uh, yeah. That one, you have a sign, and two, it puts them to not just a great website, but your website. That's that's even better. So they're not just oh. seeing pictures of plants that are could be there. They're seeing the pictures you're taking of the plants that are actually there. So that's that's really neat. That's that, pretty awesome. That's true. Well, thank you. So also in your email to us, one of the things I found interesting, if I remember correctly, you mentioned insect counts on on your yes. in your yard. What? Yes, I'm weird that way. No, that's not weird. And it's, you know, you, you took an interest and that's a lot of great information to someone like, and if you could tell us a history about when did you start doing that? What's the, the, the insect count that you, you have found on your property? Yeah. So I say, um, I have documented and photographed over 150 species of insect right here wow. on this little 0.16 acre lot. And why I know that, um, is it started, it was around 2017. So as part of this 10 year sort of obsession that I've been getting into, I went through the Minnesota master naturalist training program. Um, so I became a Minnesota master naturalist. And as part of that, you know, you have to go to training and you also have to do some volunteer work. Um, and one of the projects I got started on is called the Minnesota Bee Atlas. Mm-hmm. Um, so some folks at the University of Minnesota started this project to kind of look more into the bees um, in Minnesota. And one piece of that was just encouraging people to go out and take pictures of bees they see, you know, in their yard or wherever, um, and post them on iNaturalist. And then they get put into this Minnesota Bee Atlas project where, you know, they can look, um, folks help you to identify them. iNaturalist is really cool that way. That if you have no idea what it is, you post it on there and someone might just come in and tell you what it is. So I started working on that, just posting pictures, taking pictures of bees, posting them there. Um, and I'm now up to 32 species of bees wow. just wow. in my yard. Yeah. So once I started that, I thought, well, heck, if I'm looking at the bees, why don't I make my own project? Um, so I did. I made my own iNaturalist list. And my username on there is Como Habitat as well. Okay. And I started, you know, just putting all these species that I was finding in my backyard into that list. And it's a super easy way um, to just start and then start keeping track of um, what you're seeing in your yard. So that's kind of how it got started. And now every summer I'm out there and I'm like, have I seen that one before? Have I seen that one before? Because I'd <laughs> like to get get the number up. But yeah, it's over 30 species of bird and 150 species of insects. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And, and you are are you are giving so many fantastic ideas to our listeners that maybe wanted to do something didn't know but there there are things that are available that don't really cost you any money to do yeah, uh you know obviously if you sure. want to build a website there's there's some cost behind that but yeah. like i naturalist building a list and and keeping track and it's a great great way to share and and keep track of what you're doing and learn too it's Learn. Yeah, absolutely. Was was were there any discoveries where where you spotted a, a bee or an insect that that 
you didn't expect to see or maybe it's a little more rare in your area? Um, you know, I'm not sure you're familiar with the rusty patched bumblebee, oh, yeah. which yeah, sure. um, some years ago that was designated as an endangered species. Um, two years here, I think 17 and 18, I had rusty patch bumblebees here wow. in my yard um, visiting um, Menarda, bee balm, uh, and coneflower. And there they were. And I took a picture and I thought, nah, I can't be, can't be. <laughs> I mean, I, I checked with some folks at the bee lab at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, I've got a picture right, right up there. That's a rusty All patch. Right. My rusty oh, patch that's bumblebee. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we always talk about how resilient nature can be that if you give everything a chance, it can make a comeback. And that's a perfect example. Just think if everyone just did a fraction of what you did in your neighborhood how much more habitat there would be for that that rusty patch bumblebee so it's it really it really is miraculous how they find it and they show up i i still i'm just amazed by it <laughs> so what what have been some of i mean cuz this is a fantastic story what were some of the hardships or obstacles that you had to work through to to get to this point was there anything major that was a you know a little bit of trouble that you had to work through to get there you know, I would say the hardest thing is getting rid of grass. It's just, it's not easy to get rid of grass. And like I said, we started with the Roundup, but you still got this dead grass. And I know a lot of people will just kill the grass and then plant in the grass. Um, in our tiny little small yard, that just really wasn't going to look too great. Um, so we... Our la we've tried solarizing, um, you know, we haven't really tried smothering. What we've learned through all these years of effort is you got to get out there with a shovel. <laughs> we get out with a shovel and we dig it up and then we turn it over. We let it dry out. We shake the soil off of it and then we compost, you know, the kind of leftover sod. And that that's an effort. And I can totally see why that could um, deter someone from getting started. And I think our neighbors watching us do that in our front yard too, that could just really be a huge obstacle. And, but you know, once it's done, then it's gone and it's not coming back. <laughs> well, the, the, the beautiful thing is your, your, your neighbors or a passerby sees the end product and it's, it's not mm -hmm. even the end product, but it's closer to a finished product. And it's not as though, you started and said, we're doing all of this in one year. We always talk, start small uh, and make yeah, it manageable. Definitely. So it took you 10 years, um, yeah. which, which is a long time, but you got to grow with it. You got to make changes with it. You got to learn. And, you know, with any learning, there's success and failure. And it doesn't sound like you bit off more than you can chew. It sounds like there was a lot more success than failure, which means you, you did it at a good pace that you could control and, and, right. and be, be attentive to. Yeah. I, I have, yeah. I have two Go little ahead. questions here. Okay. Okay. Uh, one is what's some advice you would give to someone who's just starting out? They, they've wanted to do this. They've kind of started to look into the plants a little bit, but they just, they're hesitant to pull the trigger and get going. What would you, what kind of advice would you give them to kind of give them that leap of or the what's what am I trying to say? The confidence to make the leap of faith. <laughs> yes. You know, I I I'm totally with what you said about just start small. You know, just dig up a little three by three pot of 
place of grass or or add a couple natives if you already have a perennial border throw a couple of natives in there to get started right maybe research some um host plants for butterflies you'd like to see and put one of those in there and just you know start small it doesn't have to be an epic project and you don't have to turn your whole yard into uh, you know a habitat every little bit really really helps so just like, like what you said i'd say just start start small and don't worry about doing it perfectly Nature isn't perfect. None of us are perfect. Just get some plants in there, give them a little water and see what happens. And, you know, it's a great journey. It really is. But you got to start. (laughs) Now, now here's the follow up. And this is a little bit trickier. So what's what's some advice you give someone who already did this in their backyard, but is hesitant to do it in their front yard? Yeah, practice in the back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's that's what I would say, and that's what David tells all our neighbors. Up, Joan, figure this all out in the back. Here we are in the front, and you know, it depends on your neighborhood. It depends where you live and what the sort of standards are. I I still, no matter how much you want to serve nature, I mean, we live in a, a human community as well. And I, I, it's important to respect um, the people who live around you who might have a different view of landscaping as much as you think they're wrong. Um, but, you know, you need to respect them. So I would say, think about how can you sort of transition from a really traditional standard kind of lot to something with more natives, but not just going overboard. So, and again, just start small, you know, dig up a little three by three patch and throw some pollinator plants in the front yard or plant some of that meadow blazing star and watch the monarchs arrive. So (laughs) one thing I, I I wanted to ask, and I don't know if I did, when you started that first year with some natives, did you, did you imagine that 10 years later it would be you know, you'd be going all native. Was, was that just like part of your journey or did you, had you made that decision back then? You know, I, I hadn't really made the decision to go all natives. And I, you know, along the years there, the early years, I had thrown in some sedum and some traditional perennials. And I will say a lot of them have gotten moved over to the neighbor's border. Okay. <laughs> <Where> there, <laughs> I've kind of been moving them out. So, no, it wasn't my intention to be 100% native. Um, I would say that my intention has gotten to be a higher and higher percent native as I've gone along. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What? Did, were you going to say something, Tom? No, no. I, okay. I was going to change it completely, so you go. Uh, okay. So I, I guess <laughs> okay. I, and, and you may have already answered this already, but we were thinking 10 years, a great journey. What was your favorite discovery? And it might have been the Rusty Patch Bumblebee or that first chrysalis, but mm. what mm-hmm. what would you say throughout this journey? What was the one discovery that you made that you're like, wow, I'm I'm glad we did this for this? You know, the Rusty Patch Bumblebee was was right up there. Um, the first chrysalis was right up there. Um, but, you know, overall, I would just have to say that it's just been so much joy. It's just been so much joy. It's been so much work. And Dave and I have had our nights of sore backs and sore knees and, and fatigue and exhaustion. 
But when we watch those butterflies and we see the kids in the neighborhood watching those butterflies, those monarchs and the bees and the flowers and the joy people get, especially now that we've moved to the front yard, it's just, it's, I don't know. I don't want to go too far, but it's that kind of miraculous thing. Yeah, It's just really, it's really been fantastic. It's, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's almost year. I know you did it for one reason, but you are now connecting people with nature in a way that maybe they didn't expect to be or even want to be, but they are. And that's yeah. an important thing because we've all at some point lost our way with that connection with nature. So, right. and it's, and it doesn't have to be the park that you go to to enjoy it. It can be in your backyard and, or your front yard <laughs> for that matter. Yeah. And yeah. that, that is an amazing thing. That that really is. You should. I I know. I can tell you're proud, but you should be proud. <laughs> I I'm I'm just a little proud, especially <laughs> in that front yard. That front yard. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Look out, Claudia West. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, you should. You know, I want you to know how good of a guest that you've been for us today, mm-hmm. and and you are in some fantastic company with Claudia West and Dr. Talamy and Benjamin Vogt and so many other people. And I can say that confidently because I know that our listeners are going to get as much out of this episode from what you were able to share with us as they did from some of those episodes. So well, I want you. you to. I really appreciate. It. <laughs> so we appreciate <laughs> you contacting us and sharing this not only with us but with our listeners, and so well. Yeah. Too. I yeah. I know you you were like as long as we bring the personality, you know, you were you were just fine. <laughs> you didn't you didn't need us to to intervene. So, but this this has been a fantastic episode, and and I feel confident that I've learned a lot for me and some of the things that I can do on my own property that I never thought of. And I think you gave our listeners a lot to think about and a lot of opportunity of things that they can do to get people involved. And that's one of the things I love about – I know you don't do social media, but with our Facebook group Mm -hmm. with – I'm trying to remember who it was that did the – instead of the little book library on the property, Mm -hmm. the little seed library where uh, they they encourage people to come and get seed or or they put literature or or books about native plants – just to get people involved and how quickly that took off. And mm-hmm. and there's been a, such a wonderful exchange of ideas that it doesn't have to be a solo effort. It really is is a community mm-hmm. effort, a native plant community effort. Mm-hmm. So uh, we appreciate everyone that wants to be part of that community, and, and we can't thank you enough. But we're not done with you because we always have to oh, ask yay. the most infamous <laughs> question, the, the, yes. the simplest yet hardest. What is your favorite native plant? Yes. So today I would say I took a walk through my yard and the snow is melting. Uh, Today, my favorite native plant would be a wild columbine because it's coming up out of the ground. (laughs) It's green. I I see some green. So uh, uh, Aquilegia canadensis, is that? That is correct. That is correct. Um, So today that would have to be my favorite because that's the one that's getting me out of winter here in Minnesota. Um, But overall, really, I'd have to say that Meadow Blazing Star, that that monarch catnip, that's right up there too. Awesome. Awesome. I'm not even thinking about snow because we've been in the 60s the last week, (laughs) not to to rub it in. But we were just sharing this, this date last year. We were shoveling snow, mm-hmm. so yep. you just never, yeah. you just never know. So you never know. We have a, a couple minutes, so I, I said if we had time, I wanted to just talk about that um, 
the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. Because we yeah. have a real-life Minnesotan here. I'm from New Jersey. I hear about this and what's going on there. I don't know how many people actually know about it and even where it stands today. But from what I understand, mm-hmm. it's um, it's a series of like rivers and lakes up in northern Minnesota really popular for it's all it's a wilderness area so i think you can only canoe mm-hmm. and like hike through it right and right. It, yeah. but there was um was it mining leases that were supposed to take yeah to happen there so and a, yeah it's a protected wilderness area i think it was protected in the 70s um so yeah it's a it's a real wilderness area you can only travel by canoe or by foot um, there and the trips David and I have been on up there we've gone with groups and David and I have gone too so you just you carry everything with you um, the park service has put out uh, remote campsites there mm-hmm. and those are the only places that you can stay um, when you're in the wilderness and it's it's an amazing place I will also just say the mosquitoes are amazing <laughs> there too. Um, but it is just a spectacular wilderness And there's, of course, like everywhere, there's just ongoing push-pull between development um, and preserving wilderness. And I understand that folks need jobs uh, in northern Minnesota, too. So there's a lot of controversy related to copper nickel mining um, and mining leases and the concern that the, the mining will contaminate the water you know, even mm-hmm. though it's outside the wilderness area. Um, so that's, that's sort of been an ongoing um, controversy here. And, you know, it's not resolved yet. Um, there's mm-hmm. really strong feelings on both sides. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see what happens. It's something, if, even if you're not from that part of the country, it's just something to be tuned into and, and understand what's going on and how some of these habitats are uh, are at risk. And, um, right. and there might not be a... a I was going to say right answer. Uh, yeah, there might, might it's, not, a it's, it's a difficult. It's a it's a difficult problem. problem. It's not. Yeah. it's not something that's easily solved. So and, just something to pay attention and, to. And made me think of here with what we see with um, the Pine Barrens, which is a, a large protected area that's uh, our aquifers underneath of there, and there's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of pipeline issues going through right. the Pine Barrens that that everyone has been uh, up in arms about. So that's. Yeah, I, I understand because everyone's passionate about it because it's it's one of the few places that we have that's protected that that is that is untouched. Yeah, it's such a cool looking place from the pictures and videos I've seen. I really want to be able to visit it at some point. Yeah, um, but if yeah. you can ever visit, come up in September when the mosquitoes are done. <laughs> <laughs> that's great local advice. Oh, it's just it's just an amazing amazing experience. I you know I'd recommend it to anybody. Awesome. All right. So we always end with a final thought. So this is where we, we turn the mic over to you. You can take as much time as you want. And and if you want to summarize or pitch something or wh- however you want to take the, the, the moment, the, the floor is yours and have at it. All right. Well, I would just say thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Unexpected. Uh, part of my week this week, but I appreciate the opportunity and I, I appreciate the work that the both of you have done and all your guests that you have on. I, it's, it's all really important and it, and it all makes a difference. So thank you for that. And um, for anybody listening, I'd say, you know, if you already have some natives, plant some more. If you don't have any, plant one. If you can't do that, 
give some money to some organizations or some folks who are who are trying to do some work to plant more natives and restore more habitat and and just you know wait for the joy because it'll come. That so is, yeah, that's about it. That is awesome, Tom. Would you like yeah. to go, or do you yeah, want I, me to go? I can go, and uh, right. and I don't remember where I saw it, but earlier this week I saw the phrase again saying it's never too late to do the right thing, and I want to change that to it's never too late to plant more native plants. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome. I, I, was that the whole thought? I, I even I guess I was going to say sum up, but I'm really expanding on it. But um, it's. It's never too late to get started, I guess, is the bigger thing with this. It's mm-hmm. Starting now is better than starting tomorrow, but if you got to wait till tomorrow or a week from now, a year from now, just make sure you get started. It's it's really important for, for our planet. Oh, that is awesome. I want just to let our listeners know how short notice this was. Joan yep. contacted us this week, and we had a guest scheduled that unfortunately had to cancel on us this week. And we asked Joan yesterday, and she's here today. So uh, on such short notice, thank you so much for joining us, first of all. We we appreciate it. But I guess my final thought would be everyone makes a difference, and everything makes a difference, no matter how big or how small. So mm-hmm. even if you have a small property, don't assume that it's not enough because if everyone did just a little bit, it would be more than enough. So um, – it doesn't matter where you start or how you start or when you start, like Tom said. It's never too late. Um, it doesn't matter how big or how small. Just as long as you're conscious of it and you take a step and everyone takes a step, that's that's a lot of habitat that we're we're creating and a lot of good that we can do. So um, you, you just got some great pointers on how to start and and what you can do with with a little with a little bit. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm also going to say, right before we recorded, I, I got a, a message on our Instagram account saying, oh, yeah, do you think you can try putting more common names in, which is something we get, we'll request we get a lot. And it's just yes. something we, we talk <laughs> talk about because uh, at the nursery, that's just how we refer to things. And with yeah. customers, that's how we refer sure. to things. So there's little no confusion. So sometimes it's just we just don't think about saying the common names. And I promise this this listener who wrote in saying, I'm going to make sure we say common names as much as I, as much as I can. <laughs> I didn't have to interject at all because you, you, that's, you yeah. were saying happy, both. Happy to you, were, you were yeah. really good. <laughs> but it is, it is important. And I know Daryl Kabeski pointed out on mm. our other podcast, A Native Plant Every Day, that so many of common names, one plant could have 20 common names and it's, yeah, it's that, cultural and it's, and different plants could have the same common name. So it can be confusing. Sometimes some, you know, when, when someone calls me and says, Hey, I need broom sedge. Oh, are you talking about Carrix or are you talking about Andropogon? Like which, mm-hmm. which one are you? Cause it's, they have the same common name. So it's, and different mm-hmm. ones, a, you know, one's yep. a wetland, one's an upland, different one's a sedge, one's a grass. So, um, but you did great. You did great because you pronounced botanical names better than we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, Thank you. Oh, no problem. Thank you. So I think that that does it. All right. Yeah, that's going to wrap us up right. for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy listening to Joan Brandwine. For more information, you can visit her website, which is www.comohabitat.info. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, we're going to give a huge thank you to the egocentric plastic man men sorry man men men uh for contributing our theme music uh make sure you stream or buy their music wherever you consume music or go see them live if you're in the philly area 
You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, uh, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, uh, and YouTube at Pineland Nursery. Uh, we have the question and comment line. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we're going to answer that question or comment to the best of our ability and uh thank you for everyone who keeps joining the uh and all of our members of the native plants healthy planet facebook group we're just shy of a thousand members now and it's it's just keeps getting better and better so uh you can listen to native plants healthy planet directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com um but let's be real you're probably gonna listen on apple podcast spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, really wherever you listen to podcasts you can probably find us there uh when you're there especially on apple podcasts to, to please our Apple overlords, <laughs> leave a five-star review. It goes a long, long way into promoting this message. And if you write a little review to go along with that, you're entered in our our uh, drawing for our Pinelands Nursery Yeti Tumblr, which we're only announcing. You only have one more yeah, episode. You have this, this episode, one. one more, and then we're picking and, somebody. And before, you, before you sign off, I do want to say, like, we're really excited. Like, this is episode 98. Eight. We're coming up on episode 100. We're coming up on review 100, and we're averaging just about a 4.9 star Mm -hmm. review, and we're coming up on 100,000 downloads for the podcast. So it's pretty exciting. It's all merging, and we just hit our two anniversary. It's all kind of like converging as one, and we we can't do it. We couldn't have done any of this without all of you. Yeah. So – and our – 100th episode that we're going to be giving this away. We're recording on April 6th. Yes. So that's a Wednesday. So if you want to be entered, you got to do it before then. Yes. So. <laughs> Very <laughs> but, true. Um, if you really love us and you ha- already left a five-star review, you can go to www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com and you can buy a Native Plants Healthy Planet t-shirt. And Fran and I don't take a penny from that. It all goes to uh, – well, all the profits go to uh, some of the, the – guests that we've had on this group that work for nonprofits that are really doing boots on the ground, really good work. Um, and we're, I just checked earlier yes. today and we're actually getting pretty close. We're like 150 more dollars and then we have another donation coming. Okay. So, that's a, just a couple yeah, more shirts. Uh, like 15, 20 more shirts. So, okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So uh, with that, thank you everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Joan, again, thank you so, so much. Um, coming up next week, we have episode 99, another buzz episode. So make sure you tune in and until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.